It's good to be here. Uh, this is obviously the first time that we've had the privilege of joining together with uh, Pastor Wayne and Michelle and all you guys. And I, I, I want you to know that the foundation is laid yes. and uh, growth is coming. Yes. And uh, when we have a foundation that's laid, there's an anticipation of uh, what is to come. And the good news is that the kind of foundation that is laid, the sky's the limit. Uh, in fact, the sky isn't the limit. In fact, we, uh, we have a foundation that is laid already in, in Jesus Christ. And when we come together and we put this together in the name of Jesus, and we have all of this founded together, then the building can grow as big as the foundation is. And the, the, since the foundation is Jesus, the building can grow and be who Jesus Christ is fully and absolutely. And uh, I know that this is, uh, it looks like on the outside, you know, the, uh, the scripture tells us in uh, Zechariah 4.10, it essentially says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Uh, don't look at uh, things that start off slow. And I remember when we first started 12 years ago, there was, um, gee, I think there may have been 15 people in that meeting uh, where we got together. And of course, we just come through uh, a large exodus of people a, few, a week before. And uh, it didn't look very promising, but we knew in our spirit that God had already started something powerful. And so not only within this group, this body, uh, Living Hope Family Church, Marana, but also in us individually, God has already begun something that he's growing and is getting to develop. And it's going to get stronger and stronger every single day from now on forward. Amen. Because the scripture says the path of the righteous is like the rising of the sun. It grows brighter and brighter until it rules the day. And there's no sunset for us. Can you say amen to that? That's good news because we, we're not in decline. We're, we're, we're in growth. Hallelujah. And uh, I know sometimes growth doesn't always necessarily appear on the outside, but the reality is that our lives are what they are, not because of what they look like on the outside, but because of what we possess on the inside. The scripture says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the all-surpassing greatness of the power might be from God and not from ourselves. So we're not looking to who we are and what we have in the natural. We're looking to who God is and uh, what he is able to do through us supernaturally. And uh, our lives are, of course, connected to a heavenly reality. Uh, we walk on earth, but we, we, we're seated in heavenly places. Uh, we uh, have a natural life, but thank God we have a supernatural life that will never end, that God has already birthed it inside of us. Jesus Christ lives within us. Amen. And uh, you have that good foundation already laid inside of you, and I believe that you're going to go from strength to strength in it every single day of your lives. Praise God. So my goal this morning is to go minister to you on the reality of righteousness, the foundation of our relationship with God. How many know that if we have the right kind of foundation, uh, then you can build the right kind of building? That's what we've been talking about. And so uh, I believe that there always needs to be the right kind of foundation. In Isaiah 54, 14, it says, In righteousness... You will be established. Now, I know when we read righteousness, and I, I know also in Spanish, unfortunately, uh, the word that uh, is used for righteousness sometimes gives us the impression of justice uh, being done. And that is a kind of a meaning to it. Uh, so in justice, you will be established. Uh, but the New Test the, the uh, Old Testament yeah, uses the translation, uses the word righteousness, because it's not pointing to uh, simply being just, in other words, having just laws and taking care of people with justice and so on. It's pointing to instead a character trait of who God is. How I many know oh, God is holy? And because God is holy, that means God can't tolerate sin. 
it, because God doesn't want something that's other than what he is. God, God has the greatest life in all of the universe. Uh, he has the greatest experience of life because of who he is. And so God wants, when he comes and he says, I want you to have life, he says he wants us to experience the kind of life that he himself experiences. And so in order to experience that kind of life, uh, we are going to have to receive that life uh, from somewhere other than from natural birth. We need to receive it from a supernatural birth, from a heavenly birth, from heaven where God puts his life inside of us. And the word here, of course, for, um, uh, for righteousness uh, is, of course, kind of a, a word that we can use for justice. Because when Jesus came and suffered on our behalf, it was because a holy God uh, cannot put up with sin. And because Jesus came, uh, because of that, Jesus came and he died in our place. In other words, God punished Jesus for our sins. God put his wrath and uh, his indignation against sin. It was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fundamental to our Christian faith is that we believe that God exhausted all of his wrath when he poured it out on Jesus Christ. God didn't save up some anger for sin and save it that he was going to take it out on us. He poured it out all, all on Jesus. In fact, the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 53, just before this, he says it pleased God to crush him. In other words, God himself found a pleasure not in the fact that Jesus was crushed, but in the fact that when Jesus was crushed, our sin was crushed. What kept us away from God was crushed. What stopped us from having life and life more abundantly was crushed. It was changed once and for all. Hallelujah. And so here he says, in righteousness you will be established. In other words, if we understand God's justice, which means that God has satisfied his desire for justice, God's not waiting to slap you. God's not waiting to take, uh, take a shot at you, to punish you because of the things that you've done wrong. He already punished his son in our place. In other words, uh, we stand here this morning as those who have not escaped the justice of God, but those who are standing in the justice of God because the just God punished all sin in Jesus Christ. And so we are here this morning as those who have come through it and we stand on the other side of punishment and the other side of justice satisfied. We stand on the other side of the cross. We're not living before the cross where God is angry at sin and God is angry at the condition of man. We're living on the other side of the cross where we're acceptable to God, where we're welcome in his presence, where we are those that have been made clean and have been made brand new. Hallelujah. Now, of course, a lot of times we, 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 we major on forgiveness in the, in the church, and we talk about being forgiven, but God's not majoring on forgiveness. He's majoring, first of all, on the change that takes place in the human heart. That's why uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not, a, it's not an optional kind of a thing. It's an absolute kind of a thing. Amen. And being born again it doesn't simply mean praying a prayer once. It means uh, not only having that change happen in our lives, but to continue to walk in faith and to continue to believe and to thank God for what Jesus Christ has done. It's an ongoing thing uh, for our lives. So it says here, uh, in righteousness you will be established. And how many know established here means that you're going to have a good foundation? 
if we're going to have a good foundation in our lives, this is the truth that we need to grab a hold of. That, that truth there, righteousness, is something that we need to grab a hold of. And that righteousness, as we've said, is not primarily right actions. It's not doing the right thing. It means understanding what Jesus did and putting our faith in his once and for all sacrifice on our part. And he goes on to say, you will be far from oppression. If it's in righteousness you're established, then you're not insecure before God. Amen? I mean, I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to uh, think somehow that God spends all of his days trying to find something wrong with my life so that he can put his finger on it and so that he can condemn me for it. That is not what he did. In Jesus, he already found fault with sin and punished him and put his finger on it and dealt with it once and for all so that he is a holy and a just God. And God doesn't want us to live in insecurity. He doesn't want to live us, us to live in fear of God. Because the enemy wants us to live in insecurity. devil wants us to be afraid of God. devil wants us to think that God's the bad guy. And that he's the one who's out there to give us fun. And uh, have a good time and everything else like that. That is the deception. Thank you. That is the deception that the enemy would love to bring against us. I mean, we want to think, well, God's the, God's the, 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 the weird person and, the, and, and the, other, the enemy is the cool person and so on. That is, the, that is the deception that's being sown in the world today. But he goes on to say, if we're established in righteousness, we're far from oppression, for you will not fear. And from terror, for it will not come near you. you know, there's a reality that your fear becomes a magnet for certain things in your life. And your faith becomes a magnet for things in your life. I mean, if you believe that God is a good God and that he wants to bless you, then you open your life up to blessing. But if you live in fear and insecurity, uh, if you live in inadequacy, if you feel like you don't have what it takes, uh, if you walk around uh, feeling guilty all the time, if you walk around feeling like uh, you you, you don't deserve anything good from God, that will draw things to you. Your personal attitude in your heart will attract things to your life. And so he says, yeah, if we're established in righteousness, then we're not going to operate in terror and we're not going to operate in, in fear because we're not going to be waiting for something bad to happen to us. We know that we are established in it and we're going to continue to grow and go from glory to glory in our lives. Amen. Uh, Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 2, he said, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Now, it's normal for people to pursue a righteous life. Everybody wants to, to a certain degree. Uh, People want to be able to at least feel better than somebody else uh, in the world. And of course, it's possible for us between, uh, uh, you know, between the worst person in the world and the best person in the world, there's room for everybody of us to feel better than somebody or worse than somebody. But he said, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Now, the Jews used to pursue righteousness according to the law. And the scripture says that because they chased after righteousness according to the law, they never arrived at what they were looking for. In other words, their life was a life of frustration. And what I believe is God wants to deliver us from spiritual frustration this morning. I believe he wants to deliver us uh, from the insecurity of not knowing what God's attitude is toward us. God's not in heaven saying, you know, I'm going to try and decide what mind I'm going to have or what attitude I'm going to have to you today. And the reality is God already made up his mind 2,000 years ago and settled it once and for all. God's desire is to bless and to do us good uh, if we will simply come and we will put our faith in him. So he said, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and from the qu- to the quarry from which you were dug. 
First things first, if you're looking for righteousness in your life, what does he say? Look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Now, of course, he's using uh, a metaphorical language over here. But what is he speaking about? Well, the book of uh, First, First John uh, chapter 4 uh, says that we, you are from God, little children, and, over, and have overcome him because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How many know that Jesus Christ lives inside of you? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, good. Uh, if Jesus is living inside of you, uh, not, only, not only is he within you, but our, our understanding is that God has changed our identity. You see, we are right with God because of who we are, not because of what we do. Uh, it's about uh, being a Christian is, is, is about understanding what God has done inside of us and changed us. It's not about us performing. So the challenge here, he says, listen to me, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. God wants us to find our identity in him. He wants to see ourselves, wants us to see ourselves because of what he has, himself has done. And the next part, he says, look to Abraham your father. How many know Abraham was the father of faith? The Bible says that Abraham believed God even when he couldn't see anything, uh, even when there was nothing, no, there was no evidence to back up his faith. God said, you are a father of many nations, and he believed God, even though he didn't have a single child. Not one. Imagine that. You, you, you believe God's words to be true even when there's nothing that you can see that makes it true in your life. That's what faith is. We believe even when there's no evidence around us. Uh, we believe even when we can't see anything. We believe what God said. God said, a father of many nations, have I made you? And when he had spoken that to them, uh, it was a settled thing. It was for once and for all. So uh, two things we need to do is, number one, uh, we need to we need to seek we, we need to look to the rock that that we're from and the rock throughout the Old Testament refers to God Himself, ascribe greatness to our God the Rock, His work is perfect and all His ways are just. That's in Deuteronomy chapter thirty four, and uh, over here the next part is in uh, number in verse number two here it says look to Abraham your father. In other words, we have an identity in God, and the next thing is we need to believe like Abraham believed. So when God says you're righteous and you're holy and you're clean and you're pure, uh, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to check with our feelings to find out if that's true? Uh, are we supposed to look in our experience of the last few weeks to check to see if that's true? Or we to look at God's word and say, yes, that's how you see me. That's what you've done inside of me. That's what you have established in me. I choose to side with you and believe you. And I choose not to believe all of the other things that are coming against my life. How I many know that's what he's saying here? Those who seek the Lord, those who are pursuing righteousness, this is the way to go about it. It is not the way of performance. It's not the way to say, well, I've, I messed up again. I let God down again. I haven't done enough in my life, etc. It's a matter of saying, no, I'm looking to the Lord. Uh, he goes on, he said, when he was one, I called him and then I blessed him and I multiplied him. Hallelujah. So God has done great things inside of us, but uh, his word to us is we are to grow up. Amen. We're to grow up. What are we growing up into? Well, Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him. Now, what does it say, speaking the truth? 
Now, speaking the truth here is not talking about going up to your friend and saying, hey, I want to tell you a few truths about your life. Uh, and then you proceed to tell him about his actions. Those are facts, but those are not the truth. Amen. And when the doctor comes in and said, listen, I've got to tell you the truth about your health, the doctor is actually going to be telling you the facts about your health, but he doesn't know what the truth is. Because in the Bible, truth is what the Word of God says. Truth is the promise of God. Facts can change. Amen? You can be miserable today and ecstatically joyous tomorrow. Amen? Truth is, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what the Scripture says. Uh, you can be, uh, you can have nothing to meet your bills, walking around empty pocketed and saying, I don't know where it's going to happen. That's the truth today. And that's the, 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 that's the fact today. The truth is that my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in glory. Amen. That is the that is the truth that sustains us. So what do we do? Do we believe the facts or do we believe the truth? And yet he says, we're not, what do we do? We're to speak the truth in love. The Word of God is the truth. Amen. In, in, uh, Matthew, in, sorry, in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. So we don't have to come up with our own definition for the word truth. The reality is truth is the word of God. Whatever the promise of God says, that's the truth. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He, when God said, a father of many nations, have I made you? God spoke in the past tense to him, even though there was nothing. He said, Lord, you told, you told me the truth. The Bible says the moment when he acknowledged God speaking the truth, God said, you are a righteous man. So if you believe before you see, God says you're a righteous person. If you believe before you feel, God says that's the attitude of a righteous person. That's a person who believes in what Jesus Christ has done for them. That's somebody who's walking in faith. That's somebody who's believing God. And we are to speak the truth in love. In other words, as, as a church together, we're to remind one another when you're going through a tough time, you say, hey, I know the situation that you're feeling and all the things that are going on, but God's promise is still true in your life. Let's go ahead and we'll stand together. Let's believe together and let's see God's goodness be demonstrated through your life. When we take that step, God says, that's a righteous thing to do. That is, that is the actions of the righteous. The righteous believe God. Amen. The righteous trust what God says, even when they don't feel good. The righteous believe what God says about their future, even when they can't see it in the natural, when there's no, nothing else to help them to hold on to it. They say, I'm believing God. That's an act of a, that's a righteous act as far as God is concerned. Hallelujah. Speaking the truth in love is what we do. We want to speak the truth with one another. Uh, and we want to do it with love in our hearts. You know, Christian love, which is what we have within the church, Christian love is where we, uh, we, we appreciate the, uh, the nature of Jesus that is in our brother and our sister. That's Christian love, where we love Christ in them. Uh, and that's, that, that's the bottom line of it. Of course, when there's no conviction of that in our own hearts, of not convinced that Jesus is living inside of me, it's hard to appreciate something in somebody else that you don't believe is in you. And so the church needs to be stirred up about that. But uh, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everybody say, grow up. Yeah, and usually people say that with attitude. <laughs> grow up. <laughs> the scripture says, we'll grow up in how many aspects? In all aspects. King James Version says, in all things. In other words, God expects that our life will reflect Jesus in every single way. Why? Because he's the foundation. He's the one who lives inside of us. Uh, he is the one who is living through us. 
we're not going to just grow up in Jesus in just some ways. Say, well, Pastor Mike, do you mean Jesus? God expects me to act like Jesus in every single way? Well, Jesus has become your fundamental identity. It's no longer you who live. Galatians 2.20, amen? It's Christ who lives in you. It's not you who is alive anymore. And when I say it's not you who is alive, it's not time to check with your wife to see if that's true. Amen? It's not time to check with your friends. It's a time to look at the Word of God and say, that's what we're going to believe concerning each other. We are to grow up in all aspects in Him who is the head, even Christ. And uh, in case you're wondering, how do, we, how do we grow up? We don't grow up into Christ Jesus by ignoring the truth. We grow up into all aspects into Christ by speaking the truth. Amen? Speaking the truth causes this growth. Speaking what the Word of God says causes this growth. Look in 1 John 4, 17, By this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. How is Jesus? That's how we are in this world. Not in heaven one day. I mean, many people say, gee, you know, when I get to heaven, it's going to be the breakthrough time. You know, when I, when I get to heaven, finally I'm going to be free. When I get to heaven, finally I'm going to be victorious. Yes, you will. But the truth is, you are now. Yes. The problem is, too many of us, we, we sing about heaven and we, we, we think about heaven. And, and heaven's the perfect Savior. Jesus is the imperfect Savior. You know, Jesus saved me, but heaven is really going to release me. You know, uh, Jesus made me born again, but heaven is going to be outstanding and glorious. And so I put my faith in geography rather than in Christ. Because the change of where I am physically is going to make all of the difference. But that's not what the Scripture is calling us to. The reality is I don't have to wait for heaven one day to believe God is my friend and my strength and my source and everything that I am. Amen? And so growing up is an important thing for us to do. And of course, this child here, if he comes from the same gene pool as this one over here, may expect that he will grow to look exactly like the one who he has been fathered by. Amen? And he'll grow up. And he'll begin to look like it. He'll have the family likeness and the family identity. Now, what does he need to do in order to grow up? Well, he needs to eat his food and he needs to keep breathing. Amen. He also needs to walk around occasionally. Otherwise, he'll just be very flabby. And he'll, he'll, he'll just be like everything else. But he needs to have a balanced life. Can you say amen? And, if, and, and, and what else does he need? He needs time. I know people want to grow. Now, some people grow up quickly. Others grow up, take a lot longer, and, and others never grow up. They manage to avoid it entirely. It's one of those things. Now, in the, in the Christian walk, you can be a baby for the rest of your life if you want to be. It won't be cute. It's not nice, and it's definitely not adorable. Little babies are great, but when they're still 25, and they still have to have diapers, and they're still lying in the pushchair, it's not an exciting thing to look at. Okay, at that point you say, mm, something's wrong, got to be sick, maybe there's something not right with their head, what were the parents thinking, all kinds of things go through your mind. Okay. But the reality is that there has to be growth. Now, growth for us doesn't come by forgetting who lives inside of us. Growth comes by remembering who lives inside of us. Growth for the whole church comes by remembering who is in our midst. When, when, when we gather together, the Apostle Paul said, when you come together and the power of Christ is in your midst, how many you know when we get together, there's power here? There's more power here when we're together than when we're separate. And that's the, the reality is that there's a corporate anointing when we come together. The power of God is there. God can do things in our lives that He's not able to do while we're off by ourselves and while we're alone. When we're struggling, whatever it is, when we come together, we need the body of Christ. 
We are the body of Christ. It would be foolish for us to live a disconnected life when God wants us to be a connected life. Now, uh, when Jesus is the full stature and we're the child and we're growing up into him, this measuring tape over here, of course, is measuring it against the wall. But the difference between there and the top there, that, that piece there, that difference there, we can call that unbelief because we're still growing in faith. We're still growing in how we're going to believe God and look at him for our lives. Amen. All right, so let's go to the next thing over here. Uh, in Romans chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, it says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. You know, religion spends all of its time trying to accomplish something that Jesus already paid for. Religion spends all of its time trying to earn something that has already been bought by Jesus Christ, and no religious activity can ever purchase what Jesus has already bought for us. I mean, what are we going to give to God that was better than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? We, we're going to give up candy for 40 days. Yeah, that would, that would add the finishing touches to it. I want to say this morning that if Jesus, in his suffering, did not accomplish it, then anything that we do is certainly not going to be able to help it at all. But yet, yeah, it says if you don't know. Now, I mean, not knowing is talking about being ignorant. There's a lot of ignorance within the church. Uh, there's a lot of ignorance in the world. That's understandable. But there's ignorance in the church as well. And they don't know about God's righteousness. And what is the first thing they do? They seek to establish their, their own. In other words, their own righteousness rather than God's righteousness. What righteousness do you have? Your own or God's righteousness? Well, if you're just religious, then you've just got your own. You know, and your own is up and down. Your own is incomplete. Your own is inconsistent. Your own's not making you very confident at all. You don't feel like you have any rights or privileges because of it. But God's righteousness, how many you know that's consistent? Amen. That's perfect. That's not up and down. That gives us great confidence before God, which is precisely why we come in the name of Jesus, because we're coming in the identity and the, uh, the victory of Jesus. We're using that as our very own. He goes on to say, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Submit. Are you submitting to the righteousness of God in your life? Or are you still arguing with God about it? You know, I believe that when people keep on living lives of constant guilt and uh, spiritual exhaustion and everything else, we haven't submitted to the righteousness of God. We're still fighting God. God, I know that you're great. I know that you've forgiven me and you cleansed me, but I got, I got a higher standard than you and I still feel rotten about it and everything else. And God says, I want you to step out of that and step into what I've accomplished for you in Jesus Christ. You're not serving God by being guilty. You are serving God by being full of faith in what Jesus did for you. Amen? Amen. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now there's a law that when followed would have accomplished righteousness, but we know that nobody kept it. And Jesus himself, he's the end of that law. For everyone who does what? Who? Believes. Everybody say believes. believes. It's not who believed. It's not what you did. It's ongoing. Something we do all the time. Amen. For everyone who believes, there's a consistency to it, and that's what God called us to. Hallelujah. In Hebrews 10 uh, verse 14, it says, For by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. How many know by one offering, God made you perfect for all time? Now, if he has made you, has perfected for all time, if he made you perfect for all time, 
Is there any moment in time that you're not perfect? No. Not as far as what Jesus did. Now, there's plenty of moments in time when you do stupid stuff, or we do stupid stuff. Let me include myself in it. And uh, we, we act in a manner that is foolish. We act in a manner that is faithless. We act in a blind panic. Or we want go ahead and surrender to our emotions, and we let the emotions run. Or we, we surrender to our fears instead of surrendering to the truth in Jesus Christ. We, we, we make ourselves, we subject ourselves to the opinions of people. We subject ourselves to uh, the haunting images of our personal failure from our past. We subject ourselves uh, to uh, bad feelings against people who have let us down and disappointed. We, we let our whole lives be run by that. We to subject ourselves to the righteousness of God. Yes. Amen. We're to subject ourselves to the righteousness of God. Now, if it says subject, it means you to do it. You to do it. You to bow the knee to the righteousness of God. In other words, you get to decide if it's going to be the controlling truth in your life or something else is going to be the controlling truth in your life. You get to decide whether it's going to be the thing that makes the difference for your life or if you're going to live by everything else that goes on. Now, of course, uh, we, can, we can go ahead and uh, we, we can say, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, but let me, make you, let me make it established this morning so that you know for sure, for sure, for by one offering, not multiple offerings. We don't have to keep bringing our own sheep. You know, uh, I messed up again, bah, thud, another one down. Okay, and another, bah, thud, another one down. And keep bringing my offering and my sacrifice. Now, some people bring offerings, and the offerings that they bring are that they want to beat themselves up in the presence of God. Uh, some people... Uh, bring their offering, and their, their, their offering is, I promise I'm going to do much better this next year. That's their offering. Or the other offering that they bring, now, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm going to do better this year, but when your confidence gets built upon your promise, rather than the promise of God, then you have become the source, and you've turned everything upside down. It's not the right way that it ought to be, Amen. And he says, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. How many know when you got saved, you got made holy? How did you get made holy? God took the old yucky you out, killed it, and put himself inside of us. Hallelujah. Those who are sanctified is a reference here to those who have been born again. He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. They have been born again. Okay. Praise God. In... uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, he is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Now the second part is what I want you to look at. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does it say? He had made purification of sins. How I many know Jesus already purified you from your sins? Amen? We already stand clean. We already stand as pure as God himself is pure, as clean as God himself is clean. Why? Because we have the nature and the identity of Jesus that has been given to us. Jesus isn't sinful. Jesus isn't broken. Jesus isn't defeated. Can you say amen? Jesus is not, is not lacking wholeness in any part of his being. Amen. That is what I've received. So I'm embracing and saying, no, I have wholeness. I have completeness. And the reality that I have it, Jesus, when he had finished and made purification of sins, he sat down. 
Now, if he sat down and he hadn't finished it, then he was sitting down before the job was complete. I got good news for you. Jesus didn't sit down before the job was done. He sat down after the job was done, after it was established, after it was complete. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how many of the Holy Spirit comes to lead us into all truth? The Holy Spirit comes, and uh, he's, the, he's, the, he's God on earth. Uh, he comes to minister to us. Uh, it says here in verse 8 of John chapter 16, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's kind of an interesting thing over here. Uh, he goes and explains it. Verse 9, he says, Concerning sin, because they do not what? Believe in me. What sin is the Holy Spirit convicting the world of? The fact that they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the sin that the Holy Spirit wants to convict the world of. Why? Because they believe in all kinds of other things, and that's why they chase after them. But if they believed that Jesus was the answer, then they would have put their trust and confidence in Him, and they would have been satisfied with Him. Amen. Now, sometimes we read it this way. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and unrighteousness, and judgment, but he's not convicting the world concerning sin, he's convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness, not unrighteousness. Daniel in verse 10, he tells us what that righteousness is concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. Now, when he went to the Father, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And when Jesus sat down, why did he sit down? Because the job was done. Amen. So when he says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, he says you're not going to see me anymore because the truth of the matter is when I go to the Father, I'm going to take the place that I left in order to become a man and to be made sin and to suffer in your place. And when he rose again, he took us up with him and made us sit together with him. And if he's welcome in the presence of God, we are welcome in the presence of God. Because Jesus do not only die for me, Jesus died as me. Jesus didn't only die in my place. Uh, Jesus died with my identity. And when he rose, he rose with my identity. Because whatever he did, he did it for me. He did it for you. Amen. Jesus wasn't doing it for him. Jesus wasn't dying for himself. Jesus wasn't being punished for himself. Jesus wasn't being raised for himself. There was no personal benefit in it for Jesus at all. Even when he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, he didn't need to be exalted. He was already God. He didn't need to have a special place. That wasn't for the benefit of Jesus. That was for my benefit. It was for our benefit. Amen. And so he goes on to say, next thing there, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you know, but no longer behold me. And verse 11 says, and concerning judgment, because you're all going to fry in hell because you've done things wrong. No. It's not what it says over there, but that's what our religious mind thinks. Well, you know, okay, that's how it is. Concerning judgment, because what? The ruler of this world has been judged. This is a threefold thing. You know, the only sin that will keep you out of heaven is a refusal to trust Jesus to be your all in all and to be your satisfaction. Amen? Because they do not, that's the only sin that will keep you out of heaven. All of the others are forgivable. That one would be the inexcusable one. Verse 11, it makes it quite clear that the devil has already been judged. He doesn't have authority over my life. He's not ruling my life. He's not running my life. He doesn't own my life. He doesn't have a claim on my life. When the enemy comes and says, you know, I'm going to bring sickness and disease. I'm going to make your life miserable. You take a stand and say, no, my life is not subject to your authority anymore. 
my life used to be subject to your authority while sin still had its play in my life. But Jesus, my Redeemer, has taken away your right to operate in my life. And I'm no longer under your authority. I'm under new management. I'm under new authority. I'm under heavenly authority. And I'm under heavenly blessing. That's what I've received in my life. Now, I'm not, I, it, it, yes, the reality of it, to know it is one thing, but you're going to have to proclaim it as well. Amen. You're going to have to declare it over your life. You're going to have to speak it over your life. You're going to have to speak it over your kids. You're going to have to speak it over your finances. You're going to speak it over your business. You're going to walk in there and say, devil, you're not in charge anymore. I declare blessing over this place. I declare that Jesus is more than enough. I declare that everything that was upside down and wrong, God has made it right. And I say that blessing is come in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. One thing about I know is that when you get a hold of righteousness, not only will be established, but you'll be really confident in it as well. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus. These words, in Christ Jesus, are identity words. This speaks of our identity. When it says you are in Christ Jesus, that means we are in the corporate identity. We have Jesus' identity as our own, who became for us, or sorry, became to us, wisdom from God. Have you got Jesus? You've got wisdom from God. Have you got Jesus? You've got righteousness. What kind of righteousness do you have? You've got God's own, own standard of righteousness because it's from Jesus. And sanctification, which means holiness, set apart, clean. Hallelujah. How sanctified are you? Jesus is the identity. He became. Everybody say became. became. Now it doesn't say who will become to us. It says who became. In other words, I have that. That's what I possess. Now, I'm going to grow still, amen? But I need to understand what I have in order to grow. I've got to, I've, I've, I've got to have confidence in the foundation. I've got to be convinced. I've got to be settled in my heart. I've got to say to myself each day when I get up, this is the foundation on which I stand. I'm not going to be moved away from it. I'm not going to be shaken from it. And I can build on this foundation because it is secure and it is unshakable and the enemy can't move me in the midst of it. Amen. Remember Jesus said, build your house upon the rock. Why? Because there's going to be a storm. There's going to be rain. There's going to be waves. There's going to be what? A challenge to your stability is coming. Amen? You say, oh, Pastor Mike, please don't say stuff like that. You know, I just want to live in the illusion that things are going to be wonderful. Listen, there's always a challenge. There's a challenge to your stability as a church. We've gone through one in the last year. There's always there's a challenge to your stability in, 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 in who you are personally. Because the enemy is going to try and get you to believe something different about yourself so that he can introduce you to something else. You see, people who are not convinced of who they are in Jesus Christ are really easy candidates for sin, easy candidates for failure, easy candidates for the enemy to draw away. But once you know who you are, the moment sin presents itself, you say, I can't get involved in that. That's not who I am. I can't take Jesus and join Jesus to that. Because that's what I've become in him. His identity is in me. Jesus Christ is in me. The Bible says he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her. And so shall I take the body of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Is what Paul asks the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he refers to us, the body. Not only collectively, but individually. That this is the body of Jesus Christ. Because Christ lives in this body. This is the body of Christ. And this is what he has done through us. Amen. So he says the sanctification and redemption. Hallelujah. 
Redemption's a good word. It means to buy back out of the hands off. And Jesus paid for us to get out of the hands of the devil. Amen. Praise God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 21 through 23, I'm coming in for a landing. All right. Are you enjoying this? Yes. All right. I know some of you know it very well, and I know that you're being reminded of it, and you're being challenged of it, and I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning. Verse 21. So then, let no one boast in men. Can we just stop there? What does boasting in men here mean? It means if you boast about your accomplishments, or even if you talk about your failures, there's an element of boasting in that. I've heard people give testimony sometimes, and I sort of wondered because the way they gave their testimony, they spent so much time talking about how rotten they were that I thought that somewhere along the line they felt a little bit proud about the fact that they'd been such a bad guy. I had a, uh, an old uh, teacher in the Lord who would minister, and he would say, man, he said, people get up there that used to be alcoholics, and they'd be giving their testimony, and they'd be talking about how they used to mix the drinks and all the different things, and he said, and they spoke in such glowing terms about all the stuff that used to go on in their life. All the old alcoholics would sit in the congregation licking their lips and waiting for the chance for the, for the, for the sermon to end so that they could go out and get drunk again because they'd been reminded of everything else. Like, a, No, if we're going to boast in anybody, let's boast in the Lord. Amen? If we're going to boast in anybody, let's boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if we're going to say anything about our lives, let's say what Jesus did. Let's speak about what he has accomplished. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Now it doesn't say all things will belong to you. It says all things belong to you. Amen. And he's not writing to spiritual giants here. He's writing to people who are getting drunk at the communion. He's talking to people yeah, who were being gluttonous while other people were going unfed. He's talking to a church where uh, one, one of the guys had his father's wife as uh, his girlfriend on the side. He's speaking to people here who were arguing, uh, you know, I'm of Paul, no, I'm of Apollos, no, I'm of Peter. They, uh, no, no, I, I, and there was a super spiritual crowd, we're of Jesus. And then everybody, this is a messed up church, sounds just like the 21st century church right now. But Paul said, you know what, it's not, it's not about any of these things or any of these people. All things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Peter, that's another word for Peter, or the world. How many of the world belongs to you? Because when Jesus came to buy it back for us, it belongs to us as much as it belonged to Adam. We've been given, it's been restored, the world belongs to us. Everything we need from the world, it belongs to us, amen. Or life. And this word life here is specifically zoe. It means the nature of God. It's the new life. It's the life we receive when we get born again. Or death. And that death, I believe, is referring to the death of Jesus when he died on the cross and cut us off from our old life. Hallelujah. The Bible calls it the circumcision of Christ. There's a cutting off of what used to be. Or things present. How I many know everything that you can see belongs to you? How many of you know everything you can see belongs to you? It says, all things belong to you. In case you didn't get it, things present or things to come, and then he says it again, all things belong to you. And he said it twice. Why did he say it twice? Because some of you are saying, did he really mean that the first time? And he only came down again and said, we say it again, all things belong to you. So it doesn't matter what you think. So a lot of times people say, yeah, that's for, the, that's for pastors, that's for special Christians, that's for people you know, that, that are doing really well. That, and all the other. No, he said, no, that's got nothing to do with that. All things belong to you. But in case you don't remember, 
You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. The reason why you belong to Christ is because he purchased you. Amen? Hallelujah. And so he says here, all things belong to you, whether life or death, things that are present or things to come. How many of the things to come belong to you already? Because he's already said they belong. Amen? All things belong to you. All things belong to you. And he says, yeah, things present or things to come, they already belong to you. Sometimes we think, well, things to come, well, you know, what's going to happen in heaven? In heaven, I'm not going to have any needs because I'll have all of my needs met. Amen? In heaven, I'm not going to be an emotional basket case because I'm going to feel really cool all the time. Check. Amen. Uh, in heaven, uh, um, nothing's going to be wrong with my body. I'm not going to have issues, you know. I'm not going to have the constant binge and purge. I'm not going to have the white seesaw. I'm not going to have the, I really don't want to work out today because it really, really, really hurts me. And I, I'm just tired of doing that. I'm, I, all, all things belong to you. And, you know, we, we're saying, okay, that's great in heaven. But he said, no, no, it's not just going to be yours in heaven. It's yours today. You say, wow, yeah, because here's the truth, church. A little bit of faith brings your soul to heaven, but a whole bunch of faith will bring heaven to your soul. And we, what, that's what we need right now. It's great that we're going to heaven. Hallelujah. That's good news. You know, people think, well, a what a great day it's going to be. We all get to heaven. Hallelujah. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. Yeah, but why, what you need right now is we need something to happen right now. The world looks at us and says, man, that's going to be the most miserable bunch of people I've ever seen in my whole life. Why would I want to join them? <laughs> join us and be miserable. But when you die, that's when it really kicks in. So they're saying, oh, we, 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 we want to be saved, but we want to be saved just before we're dead. <laughs> because we, we want to be miserable for as short a time as possible. So could you come back and talk to us? Just before, we, just before we kick out, you know, just before we die, we want to catch it right at the very end over there. Well, you're being very presumptuous if that's your mindset because you're assuming that you know the time when you're going. And more than that, you're also assuming that, you will be, that the gospel will be available for you. But the truth is, it's not always. Man, I look at some people that I grew up with. They, they prayed a prayer. And if you spoke to them today, they don't have a clue about how to get saved. You say, but didn't they know about it at the time? Yeah, it seemed like they knew about it at the time. They could quote the scripture and they knew what to do and all the rest. And now, in this part of their life, they don't remember a thing about that at all. Why? Because it's been stolen out of their heart. Mom, the seed is sown. Guess what happens? Birds of the heavens. Jesus said they come and they eat up the seed. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to start producing what you're hearing today. He wants you to forget about it as quickly as possible. Just get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. They want to think about it at all. That's what the enemy would like to do. The moment the seed's sown, what happens? The, the birds of the air come to eat it up. Mark chapter 4, right? Birds of the air come to eat it up. What is the other thing that happened? Uh, the, the, moment, the moment the seed is sown and it begins to grow, the Bible says in, in that uh, thorns and thistles start growing up to try and choke it out. Amen? And what happens also is that when the, when the, when the seed is, is sown, it says when persecution or affliction arise because of the word. The moment you hear the word, the moment, that moment the enemy wants to come and steal it away from you. But here's the good news that I have, and that is that it doesn't matter what's going on right now. Even the future things already belong to me. I've got it. I'm running, I'm running my race. Let me finish with this. I'm running my race. But when I get to the finishing line, I'm going to find that I had the 
finishing line in me the whole time. Because my goal is my starting point. I'm not starting by trying to be something. I'm starting because I have already become something in Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm starting the race at the finishing line. Which means I can't lose. Amen? I mean, if you start the race at the finishing line, all you've got to do is just fall forward. You know, if you're going to fall, fall forward, then you, you won. Hallelujah, I'm home. Praise God. I mean, how bad can that get? I mean, that's like the ultimate thing that could ever happen. Hallelujah. And so I want to encourage you, church, if we, if we know these things, praise God, uh, they are true and they're right and they are good for us. Let me finish that off. All right. Okay. Romans chapter 2, 4 through 5. I can't even turn this off. It's gone red. I think it's telling me it's dying. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to speak truth to it, though. It's alive in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <laughs> Back again. Here's a good question we need to answer. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Here's good news. Reality is that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not our repentance that leads us to God's kindness. In other words, when we repent, we don't make God kind by our repentance. God is already kind. And it's the revelation of his kindness that will bring us to the place where our hearts and minds are changed and where we don't continue in stubbornness. Look what he says there. Because of the stubbornness and unrepented heart, you're storing up wrath. In other words, you are retaining wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. You see, when people don't respond to the gospel, all they're doing is just retaining wrath. They're saying, no, Jesus, I don't care if you died for it. I'm going to give it the best shot I've got. Well, there's one thing worse that for the, person, the, people, of, the people who have sinned, and, and, and that is those who have rejected Jesus, there will be a greater suffering for them in eternity because they've decided they don't want him. And they've known about him, and they've turned away from him. But thank God we're not those people. Amen? We're those who have come and put our faith in him. We're those who have said, Jesus, you are my everything. Because the truth is that there is hell. People say, one, one day somebody said to me, well, I believe heaven and hell are here on earth. Well, yeah, but they, they, just get, they just get better or worse depending on where you're going. It starts here. Some people, although they're Christians, they're living in hell because they don't understand the promise of God and they're putting up with stuff. They're tolerating things. Time to take a stand against it and say, not in my house. Amen. Not in my life. I mean, if you're dealing with stuff, I mean, if, if, if you've got things that are going crazy in your life, you need to take a stand and say, no, God said there are things that belong to me, and I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not going to play with it. I'm not going to permit it. I'm not going to submit to it. I'm not going to bow my knee and let it run my life. I've got a good foundation. Jesus Christ is in me. I've got the best foundation. Jesus Christ is in me. I have the guarantee of victory. Jesus Christ is in me. I have a guarantee of the final, the, the, final, the final outcome is going to be what has already been the initial input. Amen. The reality is that it's already been deposited in me. I'm going to see it come through in all of the fullness. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads for a moment.